Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Amanda Machaka and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories in Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Sudan Opposition Coalition and Ruling Military Council signed power-sharing deal. And SADC urges Western countries to lift sanctions against Zimbabwe. In economics news, U.S.-China trade war posed risks to Africa's economic prospects. And in sports news, Namibian runner Helalia Johannes wins a spa women's challenge. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. The SADC Heads of State Summit has ended in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, with a call for sanctions against Zimbabwe to be lifted by the European Union and the U.S. Tanzanian President John Makafuli is the new chairperson of the body. Daniel Kijo reports on some of the outcomes of the summit. There was a unified view from the 16 countries. President Magufuli emphasized that Zimbabwe deserve a chance to grow the economy again. So in the closing ceremony, President Magufuli repeated his message saying that they stand together and are ready now to go to the international community to start dialogues and campaigning to ensure that the sanctions are lifted. Industrialization is what most leaders agree would be the tool to change lives. Now they are looking at now further implementing the SADC industrialization strategy that sort of highlights the roadmap that these countries are supposed to take towards changing their countries, improving infrastructure development policies and then collectively, they want to work on barriers that reduce or make inter-regional trade cumbersome. Police in Zimbabwe have banned an anti-government protest, which is planned by the main opposition MDC. On Friday, police fired tear gas and arrested at least 91 people during a demonstration in the capital, Harare. The United Nations has urged the Zimbabwean authorities to ensure that people's right to freedom of expression is respected. The MDC called for the demonstrations against the administration of President Emerson Mnangagwa, which it accuses of repression and mismanagement. The MDC said Mnangagwa's rule has resulted in the country's worst economic crisis in a decade. The opposition in Sudan, which has signed a landmark power-sharing deal, the ruling military council, has chosen the five members it wants to be part of a new sovereign council. The new council is due to be sworn in later in the day. The weekend agreement is designed to end months of pro-democracy protests, which toppled long-serving ruler Omar al-Bashir. The military has so far put forward three nominees. The civilian alliance and military leaders will each choose five members, with the two sides jointly choosing a civilian as an 11th member. An advocacy group for people with albinism in Burundi says the body of a 15-year-old albino boy has been found in the northwest of the country. He had been missing for a week. The BBC's Mary Harper has more. 
The head of the Albinos Without Borders group, Kasim Kazungu, said the boy's body was found near a river. One of his arms and one of his legs had been cut off, as was his tongue. More than 20 Albinos are known to have been killed in Burundi since 2008, the last three years ago. The demand for albino body parts is high in the region, especially Tanzania. People pay high prices for them as they're believed to bring love, luck and fortune. And finally, organizers of Sunday's huge peaceful pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong say at least 1.7 million people were part of the demonstration. In a sea of umbrellas and heavy rain, the demonstrators crammed into Victoria Park and the streets surrounding the park, despite warnings from China. The demonstrations are in their 11th week and have often turned violent. However, for the first time, this was not the case on Sunday. The demonstrations initially began against an extradition bill, but have developed into a wider call for democratic reform. The BBC's Stephen McDonnell reports. A large part of the city, at least on the island, has been caught up in this enormous demonstration. We've had this situation where the park's been full once and then people left the park and it's filled up yet again. So this is the second shift and it does give you an idea of the number of people who will turn out here if a protest is going to be peaceful. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms, on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Sudan's main opposition coalition and the ruling military council on Saturday signed a final power-sharing deal that paves the way for a transitional government and eventually elections following the overthrow of longtime leader Omar al-Bashir. Tens of thousands of people of all ages took to the streets of the capital Khartoum in celebration, with many heading towards the newly renamed Freedom Square, once the site of many of Bashir's rallies. James Shimangula has more. Before the end of today, Monday, the 19th of August, Sudan's Transitional Military Council will be abolished and a presidential council is to be formed. In the wake of mass demonstrations, the military council has been ruling Sudan since April when Omar Hassan el-Bashir was toppled after ruling the country for 30 years. The presidential council, comprising six civilians and five military personnel, will be sworn in later today, Monday, the 19th of August, in the capital Khartoum. Tomorrow, Tuesday, the 20th of August, Sudan's prime minister is to be officially appointed with the approval of the presidential council. The prime minister will be sworn in on Wednesday, the 21st of August, in the presence of the presidential council and the head of Sudan's Supreme Court. Briefly shedding light on the post of Prime Minister, prominent Sudan protest leader Babika Faisal said, This is a position that was there before the 1989 coup, and now we are going to introduce it again. As Faisal spoke, 
Opposition Alliance Forces for Freedom and Change, which spearheaded intensive and extensive mass demonstrations that swept across the country and the capital Khartoum for two months, has named its candidate for the post of Prime Minister. He is Mohammed Abdallah Hamduk, former Deputy Executive Secretary General of the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa. Ahmed Hamid Taimullah, Khartoum-based expert on political and economic issues in Sudan, says Hamduk is the right Prime Minister that will lead Sudan for 39 months ahead of general elections to take place in 2022. Taimullah defines Hamduk's responsibility. He has the responsibility of a collapsing economy. Prices are soared up in Sudan, not for economic reasons, but because of mismanagement of the economy, hyperinflation, and that's why you find prices rising continuously. Expert Hamid Taimullah says, Chairman of the Presidential Council, General Abdel Fattah Abdel Rahman Bruhan, will lead Sudan's transitional government for 21 months. At the expiry of his ruling period, the country will be ruled by a civilian in the remaining 18 months. In a related development, Opposition Alliance Forces for Freedom and Change has chosen Abdel Gada Mohammed as head of Sudan's Judiciary Department and Mohammed Al-Hafiz as the country's Attorney General together with three assistants, Siham Osman Ahmed, Musab Abdallah and Tariq Youssef Dafalla. Meanwhile, from Sudan comes a report that the United States has imposed a visa ban on Major General Salah Ghosh former Director General of Sudan's National Intelligence and Security Services. The authorities in Washington accuse Ghosh of committing what they describe as gross human rights violations. The 63-year-old Ghosh resigned from his position shortly after the overthrow of President Omar Hassan el-Bashir. The ban automatically prevents Ghosh and the members of his family, including his wife, Awatif Ahmed Seed Ahmed Mohammed, and his daughter Shima Salah Abdullah Mohammed, from entering the United States. Reporting for Channel Africa. This is James Shimanyula. Anger is growing among Debele-speaking Zimbabweans in the Matebeleland region over the imprisonment of outspoken Chief Felix Ndiweni. Ndiweni, who is a very vocal critic of President Emerson Nangagwa's rule, was on Friday jailed for 18 months for destroying one of his villagers' property. However, some Zimbabweans say the prison sentence was a political decision and a protest against the sentence is expected to take place in Bulawayo today, coinciding with the demonstration called by the opposition MDC. Simon Muchema reports from Harare. Zimbabweans have received news of the imprisonment of Matebeleland chief Felix Ndiweni with anger and dismay. Ndiweni was on Friday slapped with an 18-month jail sentence for allegedly taking part in the destruction of some property belonging to a villager whom he had convicted at his traditional court three years ago. The sentence came as a shock to many Zimbabweans who felt it was rather harsh as the offense was not serious. However, owing to alleged political interference, the trial took longer than expected, 
Witnesses were intimidated and even the magistrate was at one time accused of favoring the complainants. Considering Chief Ndiweni is against the ruling ZANU-PF and is vocal against President Emerson Mnangagwa, many locals feel the sentence was political. Tumisani Dube, attorney for Chief Ndiweni, told Channel Africa that the imprisonment of a chief is the first of its kind in Zimbabwe. It's, it's the first time when a chief has been, has been arranged court is actually been, been been convicted. It, it has never happened before and there is also a lot of constant issues which need to be taken to trial court for determination. But uh, clearly this one is a clear case of political interference. Because even during the course and scope of the trial, uh, the influence of, of uh, Mr. Mpof was, was clear. He was even intimidating trial officers. Uh, during the course of the trial, he actually even went to trial court and sued uh, and filed a $10 million defamation against Chief Ndiweni. When, when we asked him to come, the police could not uh, locate him. Eventually, a warrant of arrest was, was issued for his subpoena to come to court. In one of the incidents, when we were coming from court, there was an attempt to even kidnap the chief. Just as I said, court. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's upset. The service of justice is shocking. Immediately after the imprisonment of Ndiweni, concerned citizens staged some protests outside Trade Gold Maastricht Court in Malawayo demanding the release of their leader. Pressure groups as well as ordinary citizens have vowed to stage a huge protest in Bulawayo on Monday calling for the release of Ndiweni. These protests are likely going to coincide with Monday protests that were called by the Opposition Movement for Democratic Change, MDC. Anglison Sibanda, a Bulawayo-based human rights defender, said a petition will be handed over to government on Monday. In terms of the gravity of the matter, the case, the sentence is just uh, unnecessarily too harsh, which then justifies why some people think that it is uh, politically motivated. For me, the magistrate, I think, aid in the judgment, which then creates a situation where uh, the interpretation of his of her judgment falls into the political fray, where then people are then saying it is politically motivated. Diweni is known for having besieged the U.S. government to impose stiffer sanctions on the Mnangagwa regime, owing to gross human rights abuses on the 1st of August last year as well as January this year. The outspoken traditional leader also declared his support for the opposition MDC when he attended their Gweru Congress. Sometime early this year, Diweni criticized the government for exhuming Gukurahundi mass graves without following traditional rituals. Diweni clashed with ZANU-PF youths who tried to grab his government car early this year and in return, he threatened to ban the same car. Sibanda explained. We are looking government to say, can there be some process? Why? I know the lawyers are, are compiling a case, but we, since this thing is a political, um, uh, uh, has political connotation, the political pressure is also needed to, to, to make sure that uh, uh, that decision is, re- is revisited and the chief is free to given an option of a fine. So that we ease the tensions, because the people in Matabeland are very angry, and now it is also coinciding with MDC uh, planned protests that is been compounding the already complex situation. Meanwhile, Chief Nduweni's lawyers have indicated they will be appealing, although the court record is said to be missing. In Harare, Zimbabwe for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa. In each and every one of us, there, there is a purpose and grace. We were all meant to shine. It is up to an individual to, to realize, realize that, that purpose. Don't ever let somebody tell you. 
you can't do something. Join me, Amanda Machaka, on Life by Design, where I will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their purpose with the hope to inspire you to, to live, live your life, life by, by design. design. Tune in to Life by Design for your dose, dose of Monday, Monday motivation, motivation every Monday at 8 a.m. Central African Time and at 2 a.m. the following day. Life, life by, by design, design, be the architect of your life. life. Only on Channel Africa, the African, the African Perspective. The SADC Heads of State and Government Summit has ended in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania on Sunday with a call for sanctions against Zimbabwe to be lifted by the European Union and the United States. Tanzania's President John Magufuli is the new chairperson of the body. Daniel Kidjo reports on some of the outcomes of the summit. As the 39th Heads of SADC Summit ends in Dar es Salaam, security and trade were high on this year's agenda. On security, SADC have agreed to address rising security threats facing the region. They agreed to prioritize the implementation of the SADC Regional Counterterrorism Strategy and its action plan. SADC members also agreed to implement plans to manage drought and food insecurity in the region. They also agreed to monitor the DRC situation. Burundi's SADC membership application was also turned down, with the bloc urging the country to address the areas of concern. The bloc was unified in the view that sanctions on Zimbabwe should be lifted and now they turn to the international community to start the dialogue. Economic growth was also discussed where the slow growth in the intrasadic trade levels was an area of concern. President Magufuli, who's a newly appointed chair of the bloc, urged countries to increase industrialization. The heads of state also agreed to work on infrastructure development. They hoped this can increase inter-regional trade and Kiswahili was adopted as a fourth language of the community. Daniel Kijo, SABC. Dar es Salaam. During his state visit to Tanzania, South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa also undertook a visit to Morogoro, where he visited and toured the Soikone University of Agriculture's Solomon Matlangu campus, formerly known as the Solomon Matlangu Freedom College. The college was established by the exiled ANC members in 1978. Daniel Kijo has more from Dar es Salaam. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has visited the Solomon Malangu Freedom College in Morogoro Town, Tanzania, to pay homage to the center for the role it played during the South African liberation struggle. President Ramaphosa and the First Lady were accompanied by Tanzania's Prime Minister, Kasi Majaliwa. The educational institution was established by the exile NAC in 1978. It is situated in Mazimbo District in Morogoro region. It provided educational and vocational skills to young South Africans who had fled the country during the 1976 Soweto uprising. The president's visit to Morogoro is the first by a sitting South African president and coincides with the 50th anniversary of the African National Congress Morogoro Consultative Conference, convened under the leadership of then-president Oliver Tambo. Tanzania's government promised to continue building deep historical ties with not just South Africa, but the whole of the Southern African region as well. Daniel Kijo... SABC, Dar es Salaam. South Africa's main opposition, the Democratic Alliance, has called for a judicial inquiry into controversial company Busasa and its dealings with the ruling ANC. The DA leader, Musimaimani, briefed the media after the party's highest decision-making body, the Federal Executive, concluded a two-day meeting in Johannesburg. The party has also reaffirmed its position on advocate Busisuam Kwebane, whose unfitness to hold office and once again rejected the National Health Bill. Nomalizo Mandela has more. 
The opposition party met for two days for its first sitting of the sixth parliament, discussing and deciding upon matters the party deemed are of importance. Briefing the media after the meeting, party leader Musimaimani called for a judicial inquiry into Busasa in its dealings with the ANC. Maimane said the matter will form part of the questions forwarded to President Cyril Ramaphosa for the scheduled oral question sessions in Parliament this Thursday. The question really that speaks to my specific engagement with the President on Thursday will, will really look at this inquiry into Busasa and, and, and a judicial inquiry, which is the initial question I've asked him, whether there will be a judicial inquiry into Busasa and looking at its own dealings with um, the NC and whether the President feels that we should just leave this matter as it is. I think to me it will be a dereliction of duty. We've always called to make sure there must be accountability. And I think we must, if we are serious about cleaning out uh, corruption in government, we must deal with everybody, from the president all the way down. Meanwhile, after reaffirming its position on advocate Busisiwe Mkwebane's unfitness to hold the office of the public protector, the party's outgoing federal executive chairperson, James Self, said the questions around Mkwebane's impartiality and ability have nothing to do with President Cyril Ramaphosa's alleged wrongdoings regarding Busasa. Mkwebane's uh, unfitness to hold office has no bearing on whether the relationship between Bosasa and the president is corrupt, nor whether he lied to parliament. Ramaphosa's misleading of parliament and his son's dodgy dealings with Bosasa are all established facts, independent of the public protector and his supposed agenda. We will continue to monitor President Ramaphosa's review application as it pertains to the public protector's report into his dealings with Bosasa. The party has once again rejected the National Health Insurance Bill tabled by Health Minister William Kize in Parliament last week. Maimani says the bill is a deliberate attempt to nationalise health care and that they have raised their concerns with Parliament regarding its constitutionality. If you undermine the role of provinces in this regard, you are going to cripple the national health system. And therefore, we will continue to fight that and we are contesting the constitutionality of the bill And that's why I've written to Parliament requesting them to clarify whether the bill is in in its current form will meet constitutional master and that, in fact, citizens can be able to be guaranteed quality health care through provinces. That was Democratic Alliance leader Musimaimani ending that report by Nomalizo Mandela in Johannesburg. Hi, I'm Pule Mulebazi the presenter of the Albinism Report, a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times, Monday, 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time. The Albinism Report, an enlightened narrative with me, Ule Mulebati, on Channel Africa from an African perspective. Dozens of people are still missing in Sierra Leone following torrential rains that hit the capital Freetown since the beginning of this month. More heavy rains are expected as some residents fear possible mudslides like the ones that devastated parts of Freetown two years ago. For more on this, Kumbela Mujelele spoke to Elias Bangura, a Sierra Leonean journalist based in the capital Freetown. Each time when August turns up uh, between July, August and September, it's just, uh, it's just a sad story. It has been like this year in and year out. 
So the incident you are telling your listenership, um, it has to do with um, something that happened around Wellington, the east end of Freetown, which is unusual in any way because uh, all that usually happens has to do with um, the slums and other areas. But for now, at the east, I mean, the area we are talking about is in the hillside. What happened was that uh, people have built in the waterways places where children should not build and in the process because of the heavy rains since the water cannot find its own causeway anymore because of the drainages that are poor uh, or at least um, small in their nature as you know flooding normally finds a way for itself to empty out onto the ocean Freetown, just like london is uh, it's a i mean it's a hilly it is made up of fields so and it and it empties out into the ocean the atlantic ocean and uh, at Wellington, this was what happened a day or two ago. I mean, between 2 a.m. and 5 a.m., it was just pathetic. Uh, it's helplessness among the citizens there. In five people lost their lives, and many more got missing. And uh, about 5,000 have been rendered homeless. And this is not just within the capital, even across the nation. This has been our challenge whenever the rains turn up. Are you getting any sense that authorities have learned from the previous experiences? I would say yes, but the point is, is in, in the aspect of implementation. I mean, we sit down and plan and say this, have beautiful plans. I mean, we have engineers and so on and so forth. I mean, on paper, everything is there, the solutions are there, but the implementation aspect, and as you know, this is a new government. I mean, 15 or 16 months into their, their five-year uh, term, I mean, they are battling with, uh, I mean, solutions with issues like this, because what people are saying is that we should have a national, I mean, a plan that regardless of the party that is in governance, they should go by that plan, but everyone has his own agenda. Everyone has his own plans, they have their own manifestos, and they go by it. And for this government, as you will know, their own focus is on education. The previous government, they were on infrastructure, even planning to, re- to extend the city to what we call the Mamama, a new airport, and so on, so that at least people will leave the city and move outside of the city, which is just like a 20 or 25 miles outside of the city. I mean, people had already started construction work there and so on and so forth. But the plans are there on paper. It's just this implementation aspect. The mayor of Sultan, for example, a very hardworking lady. Sure. She has been all over the place right? trying to work and see how this city can be one, I mean, that can match up with the standard of any other city. But as it is, our heritage are just small small drainages. Everything, the aspect of the city, it's just, everything is just small. I mean, we need extensions, wide roads, bigger roads, and so on and so forth. More rains are said to be expected as some residents fear possible mudslides like the ones that devastated parts of Freetown two years ago, as you have mentioned. Mm. Where does the country get information in terms of the impending storms, seeing that they are no meteorological stations to predict the weather. Uh, thankfully, the meteorological um, agency has been revived. I mean, funds have been pumped into it. It's giving out a regular update now about the weather forecast. And as you know, I mean, the modern world now, we are getting updates in terms of the weather and so on and so forth. And people are, well, I would say people are taking precautions, but as you say, they, I mean, when it, once it rains subside uh, around October, uh, uh, October to May, you see they, revert, they return again. I mean, one key aspect that has been 
troubling this nation for ages is the, the aspect of the rule of law. I mean, the enforcement of the laws. We have the laws on paper. We have so much, such beautiful laws. I mean, you can look at them and say, wow, this is just fantastic. But when it comes to the, to, to the enforcement of these laws, enforcement of these bylaws, that's where the problem lies. I mean, government in, in, in and out over the years have been afraid to implement the laws because they think about the, going to the pools in five years' time, four years' time for the local councils, and five years' time for the national government. So they are thinking of this, and they have their, what we call their strongholds, and these are the places we have. We have so much population, so much people, and all of these are living against the rules, against the standards that should occur in any, or that should happen in any modernized city. I mean, people just don't obey laws, and the enforcement aspect, they are afraid to do it. That's Sierra Leonean journalist Elias Bangura on the line from the capital, Freetown, speaking to Kumbele Munjelele. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NetLab to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussion have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. It's 7.30 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, the SADC Heads of State Summit has ended in Dar es Salaam in Tanzania with a call for European Union and the U.S. sanctions against Zimbabwe to be lifted. Police in Zimbabwe have banned an anti-government protest which is planned by the main opposition MDC and Sudan's opposition has chosen the five members it wants to be part of a new sovereign council. Those are the stories making headlines. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve 
is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at Netlet to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were periods and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. The South African Broadcasting Corporation Board Chairperson Bongomusa Makatini says the public broadcaster is preparing court papers and will not comment further on the SIU report until the papers have been lodged in court. The board says it will support the application by the Special Investigating Unit to have the contract between the public broadcaster and Mafuku Security Patrols reviewed and set aside. In a report released yesterday, the SIU found serious irregularities in the procurement and awarding of the 185 million rand tender by former members of the SABC's interim board in 2017. Wisani Makubele reports. Former SABC interim board member Teddy Soraditabo maintains there was no wrongdoing in the awarding of the 185 million rand security tender to Mafuku. This is despite the special investigating unit's finding that there were irregularities in the interim board's procurement and awarding of the contract. Mafuku's competitor Mjaeli is reported to have been a bidder scoring high in pricing, but the board overruled its own supply chain processes and awarded the contract to Mafuku. Raditabo was acting group CEO at the time. I cannot remember any wrongdoing except for that technicality that the board would have thought if the tender was being awarded to a service provider whose rent two on BEE, it would have disadvantaged service provider rent one, even if the rent one service provider was more expensive. But uh, I think we have followed every process to the latter, and uh, I cannot agree with SIU to say there was something untoward. The lawyer representing former SABC interim board members, Debucho Malachi, says his clients will apply for the review and setting aside of the SIU report, saying it's fundamentally flawed. The report of the SIU clearly indicates there's no corrupt element here that's at play. So how can that possibly constitute delinquency? Our clients, because of the intentions of the SIU to declare them delinquent, must of necessity intervene in those proceedings and must of necessity apply for a review and setting aside of this SIU report. We believe it is, it is factually incorrect. In fact, it doesn't have a factual basis for the conclusions that it has reached. So that's the recourse we're looking at, intervening in those proceedings and seeking a review and setting aside of that report. Mafuku also says it will challenge the process to set aside its contract with the SABC. The company's security director general, Lebunare, says the report does not implicate them in any wrongdoing. 
before commenting on the merits of the cases that we must make it clear that this is a matter that is before the courts and it's a matter that is subjudicate and we should uh, give uh, the law a process to run so that we can not preempt and say what if it is set aside. If they are going to say they want to set it aside, we have a legal process that is underway already where we are hoping that we are going to challenge that uh, setting aside of our contract. We are not involved in the procurement processes of the SABC. We are not so clued up as to how they come up with the conclusion of uh, the winning bidder. The process is an internal process that is conducted by the SABC. We only receive an appointment letter and we come and render the quality of security services the SABC. The company that lost out, Mjaili, says it will not comment until litigation is concluded. At the same time, current SABC board chairperson Bungumusa Makatini says the public broadcaster is preparing court papers and will not comment further on the SIU report and related matters until the papers have been lodged in court. The report has now been sent to President Cyril Ramaphosa. I'm Wisani Makubele in Johannesburg. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Kenya is leading about 31 African countries that are calling for total protection for elephants from any commercial international trade in ivory by listing all African elephants on Appendix I of CITES, which could afford the highest protection. The call came as the 18th conference of the parties of the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora got underway in Geneva on Saturday. Sarah Kimani has more. In its bid to raise awareness on illegal trade in ivory, Kenya early this month launched a campaign dubbed Ivory Trade is a Ripoff. It is that clarion call that the East African nation as well as 31 other member states of the Africa Elephant Coalition will be taken to Geneva. Najib Balala is Kenya's cabinet secretary in charge of tourism and wildlife. We say the trade of ivory is ripping Kenya apart. Because the minute you trade in ivory, our national heritage is being destroyed. Our entire economy depends on tourism, and tourism is nature-based, which we depend on our elephants. CITES introduced the ban on trade in ivory in 1989, following wanton poaching of at least 100,000 elephants every year in the 80s, according to the World Wildlife Fund. Despite that ban, thousands of elephants are killed to meet growing demand for ivory products in Asia. Countries under the Africa Elephant Coalition fear that opening a window to sell ivory stockpiles will lead to parallel illegal markets. Margaret Kenyatta is Kenya's first lady and also a patron of Hands of Our Elephants. Over the years, we have learned that every time there's been a decision by CITES parties to reopen the ivory trade, this has resulted in increased elephant poaching and illicit trafficking of ivory. Following the 2016 CITES conference in Johannesburg, several countries including China, U.S., U.K. and France banned domestic ivory markets in their countries. Pressure is now mounting on countries that have not closed their domestic ivory markets to do so. In the first quarter of this year, over 22 tons of ivory were seized globally from thousands of poached elephants. This confirms the ongoing existence of transnational crime. More recently, another large consignment of elephant tusks was impounded in Singapore 
confirming that the task before us is not yet over. Apart from elephants, the conference will discuss tigers, rhinos and pangolins whose populations have sharply declined due to demand in Asia. Their fate will be known at the conclusion of the two-week summit. Sarah Kemani, Kenya. Stomp, the inventive and invigorating stage show that stands music and theatrical performance blended together in one electrifying rhythm kicks-off in South Africa on Tuesday. Brought to South Africa by Showtime Management in association with BBC First, the show will be on stage at Monte Cassino's Teatro in Johannesburg until September the 8th. To find out more about the show, Tutungobeni spoke to crew member Phil Batchelor from the United Kingdom who has been part of Stomp for over 12 years. Right now I'm a mixture of feeling tired from travelling to get here because I just arrived here yesterday and then we were up this morning at 6am to do breakfast uh, television but that aside I'm actually really excited to be back. Um, I was here, last time I was here was in 2010 so it's been pretty much nine years since being in south africa and i had such a great time here last time that every year i always say to our um you know the the people that book our show like when are we going back to south africa and it's like oh we haven't booked another one yet but so when i heard that we were coming back this time around i was like yes okay that's good get back to monte casino we'll go to johannesburg we'll do some safaris we'll do some tours and we get down to cape town and do some other stuff see table mountain and uh yeah so it's good i'm excited to be here <laughs> and now, in terms of the show, you spoke about how the show evolves mm-hmm. every time. So, what sort of elements should uh, the audiences, the South African audience, expect from the show this time around? So, we have a, uh, we have, I believe, since the last time we were here, we have two or three different routines that we didn't have in the show the last time we were here. So, if someone came to the show last time, um, they would see different different things within the show. The core part of this show is still the same. You know, we use the iconic things of the show like using uh, brooms and dustbins um, and our body percussion that's quite iconic within the show and so yeah a couple of different different routines some of the actual existing numbers got changed musically as well so the musicality of it is a little different and then as well we have uh, there's probably about out of the 12 of us there's only two of us that were here last time so there's 10 other people um and with that with different people brings different energies different musical influences we get to play this show is really nice because we get to give our own kind of input as to what we want to put in the show because um like we said we have uh, space to improvise in the show and write our own write our own sort of solos so whatever kind of flavor you're feeling like whatever you want to put in it's it's, uh, it's up to you and as a performer you know um i'd imagine that stomp is quite an exciting show to be part of because you can just improvise and not uh, restricted to sticking to the script yeah so that's that's a, a big part of stomp is that it's it's written in such a way that it gives us freedom to add to the show ourselves as well and that makes it it makes it it kind of makes it good for everyone because it keeps it as i said i've done the show for 12 years and so if you would imagine doing the exact same thing day by day for 12 years you'd go mad but the nice thing is that i can every show that i do i can add my own like however however i'm feeling on the day i could add i'm not like a new little musical flourish or or something that maybe like 
a lot of the times like we'll be we'll go out for lunch and we're walking down the street and then you'll hear like a an interesting sound and you go oh do do ba ba da and you be like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna like add that little that little tiny bit into my hands and feet opening that night and then that's something that's very like appropriate for just where you are as well you'd be like okay i heard that walking down the street in johannesburg and now it's in the show tonight in johannesburg so um makes it interesting and fun in terms of the show itself if you don't have rhythm is it a challenge i mean uh, the members of the media were up there with you guys and yeah. obviously if you don't have rhythm you would not be able to keep up with the show well yeah that's the, the fundamentally the most important part of the show is to have a good sense of rhythm so you wouldn't make it past the audition stage if you didn't have a good sense of rhythm there's just no way because because it's all live it's all every single hit click snap slap stomp everything that you hear is live we don't play to a click track and we don't play to any kind of backing track so you have like the, that's the thing that we say you just all you need to do to be in stomp is to have a very good sense of rhythm and then you can use that good sense of rhythm and apply it to the objects that we have around because obviously we make music with these objects that aren't conventionally instruments but the application of rhythm and the way that we interact with these objects makes them actually all of a sudden become musical instruments so yeah rhythm is key that's phil bachelor member of the storm crew speaking to tutongubeni Our economics updates up next with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. The African Development Bank says the U.S.-China trade war and uncertainty over Brexit pose risks to Africa's economic prospects that are increasing by the day. The trade dispute between the world's two largest economies has rolled global markets and unnerved investors as it stretches into its second year with no end in sight. Britain, meanwhile, appears to be on course to leave the EU on October 31 without a transition deal, which economists fear could severely disrupt trade flows. The African Development Bank says that African nations need to boost trade with each other and add value to agricultural produce to cushion the impact of external shocks. A Chinese state-owned petroleum multinational has won the deal to buy Kenya's maiden crude oil export, giving the Asian nation an upper hand in negotiations when Kenya moves to commercial production of the commodity. The maiden shipment of 200,000 barrels of crude from Mombasa is scheduled for next month. Kenya announced that Chem China UK Limited won the bid to lift the Takena oil in what marks Kenya's entry into the League of Oil Exporting Countries. 
Zimbabwe is preparing a meaningful offer for civil servants as it seeks to address the challenges they face of high prices of goods and services. The offer is set to be tabled during the next engagement of the National Joint Negotiating Council, which is expected to meet in the near future. A top government official close to the negotiations confirmed to the Herald that indeed a package that should go a long way in cushioning civil servants has been decided. Public Service, Labor and Social Welfare Ministry has confirmed that government and the Apex Council, which represents civil servants, will resume negotiations soon, but declined to say the figure that government would table. U.S. President Donald Trump has indicated his administration is unlikely to grant another temporary reprieve to the Chinese technology company Huawei, citing national security concerns. Huawei is uh, a company we may not do business with at all. Now, they have little sections of Huawei, like furniture and other things that we could do, but when you cut out sections, it gets very complicated. So at this moment, it looks much more like we're not going to do business. I don't want to do business at all because it is a national security threat. And Volvo is doing well in the top end of the South African car market. That's according to Volvo Cars SA, which says it's happy with the growth of its sales, even though the market conditions are on the decline. The overall vehicle sales market fell by 3.2% in June, while premium vehicle sales declined 19%. Volvo grew market share from 2.9% of the premium vehicle market in 2015 to 5.6% at the end of last year, and the company expects the growth to continue. In financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at uh, 363.28 Nigeria Naira, 10.89 Botswana Pula at 102.7 Kenyan Shilling and at 13.7 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost 4 Brazilian Heal, 66.48 Russian Ruble, 71.15 Indian Rupee, 7.4 Chinese Yuan, and at 15.26 South African Rand. The dollar is also trading at 82 pence to the British pound at 90 cents to the euro. In commodities, gold is at $1,509, platinum at $847 per ounce, while the price of paying crude oil is $59.28 a barrel. That's the latest economics news. Our sports updates up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update this hour, we begin with rugby news. South Africa's coach... Rossi Rasmus has teamed four players from his potential squad for the Rugby World Cup and named a list of 36 to take part in a team-building camp in Bloemfontein, South Africa's Free State Province, this week. Rasmus hinted that his final 31-man squad for the tournament in Japan, which will be announced next Monday, will be drawn from the players in camp this week, with the remainder on standby in case of injury. The players released from the group that defeated Argentina 24-18 in a one-off test in Pretoria on Saturday are prop Will Kolu, Huga Skarandobeni, Luz Forward, Marco Van Staden, and utility back Dylan Schlades. And in uh, hockey news, 
the South African women's also gave the performance. But starting off with the other men's games, the Ghana secured themselves a bronze medal with a 4-3 win over Zimbabwe in a pulsating encounter that set the tone for the final. While Kenya avoided a wooden spoon with a 3-1 win over Namibia and Drummond's who turns out for Dutch club Klein Zutzfeld believes that competition from the fellow African teams is improving, especially their main rival, Egypt. I definitely think um, the lower-ranked teams have improved. Uh, it's obviously a huge challenge for them to play higher-ranked teams around the world. And fortunately for South Africa and Egypt, they do play higher-ranked teams, so they get exposed to strong opposition. But the, it's always a tough tournament, and so that's testament to African hockey. And it's a huge uh, positive for African hockey that the level is getting higher and the competition is getting stronger. The South African women also gave a stunning performance, beating Ghana with a convincing 6-0 lead in the other final at the same venue. The South African ladies were unstoppable, winning this year's tournament without conceding a single goal. Assistant coach Inki Zondi had this to say. We had a good week this week. Um, really proud of how the team finished in terms of the last game and our processes throughout the week. Um, we kept some clean sheets, which was great. We didn't concede a goal the whole week. And uh, overall, it was a nice experience to get some more youngsters into the team, and I think they all performed really well. Um, and yeah, the team's really happy to be have become African champions. In athletics, Namibian athlete and the sensation Hilalia Johannes of the Netbank put on another superhuman performance to win her fifth consecutive Spa Women's 10km Challenge on Sunday when she won the Marisbeck Challenge in the record time of 32.23 seconds. Johannes has broken the record in all five races. Ethiopian junior Tadunare Netbank was also in 33.06. And last year's Spa Grand Prix, Glendros Taba finished third in 33 minutes 41 seconds. Triple Spa Grand Prix winner Yvette Fansail Netbank who missed the Tswane race because she was recovering from surgery to repair nerve damage in her left leg said she was relieved to have put in a strong performance finishing 7th in 34.21 minutes and on our tennis news Russia's Daniel Medvedev survived cramps and tantrum where he cracked a record to clinch his first Masters 1000 title with a 7-6 7-3 tie and 6-4 win over David Goffin in the final of the Cincinnati Masters, Medvedev saved two breaks points while saving for the match at 5-4 in the second set before winning the next four, three of them, with aces to close out his dogged Belgian opponent. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, uh, I need to say I have no, uh, no power. I'm so exhausted to celebrate. Like, if you would ask me before the tournament, uh, what would I do if I win the tournament? I would say I would have uh, fall down on the court, uh, scream like crazy. And finally, when I made this last taste, I had no power to even say one word. So I just went to the net and I was like, OK, it's finished. I won it. And uh, especially it feels good after losing, uh, I think, three finals in a row, four finals this year, winning only one to win a Masters 1000 is amazing. American Medicine Keys overcame Svetlana Kuznetsova leads in both sets to defeat the Russian for the Cincinnati Masters title. The confidence-boosting 7-5-7-6-7-6-5 tie victory sent Keys into the U.S. Open later this month as the world's number 10 ranked player. Officials said in both sets, the 2017 U.S. Open finalist trailed 5-3 before rallying to win. Keys won four consecutive games to claim the opener. She needed a tie break to prevail in the second. It feels really great to be champion in Cincinnati. I had a really tough week last week in Toronto and was feeling pretty down.
down, but I feel like I came to Cincinnati and I gave myself the best opportunity to win the title. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. Sudan Opposition Coalition and Ruling Military Council signed power-sharing deal. And SADC urges Western countries to lift sanctions against Zimbabwe. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzo Ramagadza, technical producer Revelino Ibrahim, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us.